<laughs> we need you to participate, as always. So when you hear the word bad, you need to say... And when you hear the word good, you need to say... When you hear the word rain, you need to say... You can say it twice, it sounds better. (laughs) And when you hear the word raven... Okay, we're ready. Ahab was far more evil than any of the kings that had gone before him. Anything that a person could do wrong, you name it, Ahab had done it. He was bad. Not good. aren't you? Firstly, you address me as my lord and king. Secondly, God sees that infidel. I said, God sees that infidel. Where are they? (laughs) Someone's head is going to roll for this. Thankfully, there is someone else in this story. A man who was good. Not bad. His name was Elijah. I'm Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Pleased to meet you all. Elijah was one of God's prophets. God would speak to Elijah and Elijah would deliver God's messages to the appropriate people. This time, Elijah had a message for Ahab. Right, let's try again. Right, God, 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 see that! Who are you? Elisha, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. You must be Ahab. That's my lord and king to you. (laughs) Whatever, whatever. I have a message for you, actually. The Lord and King of Israel has spoken to you. The Lord says there'll be no more rain or dew in this land except at my word. How dare you address me in that manner? Do you know who I am? I'm Ahab and I'm awesome. God sees that as well. Having narrowly escaped the clutches of Ahab's men, Elijah then made his way to the Kerith Ravine, just as God had instructed him to. Hello, me again. Elisha, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. God has told me that if I wait here, I could drink water from the brook, and the ravens will supply me with food. Natural fact, I'm feeling a bit peckish already. Just then, a <sighs> raven flew in and dropped some bread.
bread and meat at Elijah's feet. The same thing happened in the evening. Thank you, Mr. Raven. Some time later, the brook had dried up because of there being no rain for some time. So Elijah got up, left the Kerith ravine, where he had been fed by ravens, and made his way to a place called Zarephath, just as God instructed him. Elijah finally arrived at Zarephath. That was quick. (laughs) Now God had told Elijah that when he arrived in Zarephath, he would meet a woman. Oh yeah? (laughs) No, not that. You literally just meet a woman. Hey, look, there's a woman gathering sticks, just like God said there would be. Excuse me, hello. I'm Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. Could you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? Oh, and some bread as well, please. Sir, I can get you water, but I don't have any bread, none. I only have a handful of flour and a little oil in a jar. I'm going to make my last meal for my son and I, and we're going to eat it, and it won't be long until we die. This did not sound good. This sounded very, very bad. Don't worry. Go home, make me a small loaf of bread, and then make something for yourself and for your son. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has said that your jar of flour will not be used up and your jug of oil will not run dry until God sends rain on the land again. And then the woman went away and did exactly as Elijah had told her. And so there was food every day. Some time later, the woman's son became really, really ill. So ill, in fact, that he died. (laughs) Obviously not good. Very, very bad. Why? Why have you done this to me? I look after you and God punishes me. Elijah kept calm and did something that might appear to be a little odd. Well, in fact, it did appear to be and was a little odd. Elijah stretched himself out over the boy's dead body three times. My Lord God, let this boy's life return to him. God heard Elijah's cry. Immediately, the boy's life returned to him and he got up. Thank you, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. You really are a man of God. Please sit down. (laughs) 
So where I was before we came here, where I was a curate, we used to do a holiday club. The holiday club was for primary school kids in the, in the February half term. And they used to have a box like this. The idea behind the box was that the children could ask any question that they wanted about God or the Bible. And then the idea was, was that the poor curate, who was me, would have to open the box, read the question and answer it. And if you never thought that kids had vivid imaginations, that was the time to realise it then. And so they used to ask me lots of questions about the Bible. So they used to ask me, how many stories are there in the Bible? To which the answer is, that's right, and many. There are many and one stories. And then they also used to ask me, how many words are there in the Bible? And the answer is, no, come on. 804,556, and if you don't believe me, you can count them yourself. But that's what it is. And then they used to say to me, how many chapters are there in an English Bible? Because, of course, when the Bible was first written, it didn't have chapters. And they said, how many chapters? Who's good at maths? Anyone good at maths? Right. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And suddenly going, you might need some help with this. That means, what, can we te- what do we know about that if there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible? What do we know? What does this tell us? Basic maths. There must be a middle chapter, doesn't it? If you think about it, because it's an odd number. And so it just so happens that I'm going to tell you this morning that the middle chapter is Psalm 118. That's the middle chapter. And it just so happens as well, believe it or not, in the whole maths of it, just imagine the probability of this happening. The middle verse of the Bible is also in Psalm 118. And this is how we find it. If there are... If Psalm 118 is the middle chapter, how many chapters are there before Psalm 118? Who said it? See, James has got a degree in maths. (laughs) Where's the degree in maths from? Oxford, you see, sir. He's not wrong, is he? Whoa. What does that mean about how many chapters there are after Psalm 118? 594. If you add the two together, what do you get? See, some of you are clever accountants. And now, in the good old fashion of creative accountancy, this is how you find the middle verse in the Bible. Psalm 118, verse 8. This is what it says. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Why don't we say it together? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Or as another translation would say, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to put trust in humans. Why is that? Why is it better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man? Because God is just right about everything. That's why. 
That's why it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. If we think about Jesus, who was God in human form, he was the smartest and wisest person who ever walked on this earth. He was just right about everything. And so, harvest is about trusting in God. Trusting in God that God will provide for us, irrespective of our circumstances. And that was how Elijah had to live his life. In that story, he had to trust that it was better to trust in God than to put his confidence in man. Here's the first way that he had to trust. He had to trust that God would protect him. Because if you remember in that story, what did that story tell us about King Ahab? King Ahab was the most wicked king there ever was. You can read about it in the Bible. He was the worst king whatsoever. And Elijah had to go and tell him what was not going to be a very pleasant message. Imagine that. I'm sure some of you have had to do that in your life. You know, maybe you had a difficult colleague or a difficult employee or a difficult employer and they were prickly and you had to go and tell them some bad news. That was what Elijah was was having to face in that story. He was having to go to King Ahab and give him the the difficult word from God that there was going to be a drought for three and a half years. And he had to trust God that God would provide protection for him. And then the second thing was, was that if there was going to be a drought for three and a half years, he had to trust God, because he was going to live through this drought, that God was going to provide food and water for him. And this is when it gets really good about what it means to learn to trust in God. That God will provide for you. That when you do that, And things you think, I don't know how God is going to do it. He kind of does it so mysteriously. So he provides the protection at first by sending Elijah off to the Kerith ravine. There's nothing necessarily unusual about that. It was a place of safety. But what Kerith actually means is drought. So Elijah, I'll keep you safe, but go to drought ravine. And there he was going to provide the water from this brook. And he was going to provide the food from ravens. Here's the next mysterious thing. If you know anything about... Who hates ravens? Anyone hate ravens? You can be honest. Anyone hate ravens? Let me tell you, the Jews hate ravens. Ravens are the most ceremonially unclean birds. So for Elijah, who was a Jew... To know that he was going to get fed from a raven. Hold on God. That goes against all my principles. Because ravens were scavengers. So you can imagine what Elijah's thinking. He's thinking. Well what type of food am I going to get? From a raven. A scavenger. And so that's. And yet God provides for him. And then all of a sudden. And this happens when you have to trust God. It's better to trust in the Lord. Than to put confidence in man. Then something happens. The goalposts move. Ever had that situation? You're trusting in God in what might be a difficult situation. And then the situation changes. And Elijah is told once more to trust in God. Better to trust in God than to put your confidence in yourself. And so he has to trust in God that God will provide for him. And God tells him to go to Zarephath. A place called Zarephath. Here's what you need to know about Zarephath. Zarephath was King Ahab's backyard. 
If the ravine was a place of safety, Zarephath was right in King Ahab's back garden. And he had to trust that God would provide. And then he says, oh, I'm going to give you still food and water. It's going to come from a widow. Let me tell you something about widows in the Bible. There were no rich widows in the Bible. They were all poor. And are you sure, God? Are you sure, God, that you're going to provide? And this widow just happens to be the widow who's on her last bit of flour and her last bit of oil. And Elijah had to trust that God would provide. And again, once more, he does it mysteriously. Somehow Elijah survives all that time in King Ahab's backyard. He's protected. Somehow the oil never runs out. The flour never runs out. And there's enough food for them all through the time. You see, what we have to learn in all this, that it's better to trust in God than to put our confidence in human beings, is that God provides on his terms, not on what we think it is. It often doesn't make sense for us, but that's how God provides for each one of us. So we're going to sing a song now as we think about what it means to trust in the Lord. So why don't we stand together? So will we trust? Will we trust that God will provide for us irrespective of our circumstances? You see, there was nothing special about Elijah. Nothing special about him. If you read the New Testament in the book of James, what it will tell you about Elijah was that Elijah was a man just like us. He was just an ordinary guy. And harvest is all about trusting that God will provide. So let's think about that in the context of perhaps the hardest thing, of what it means to trust in God rather than ourselves, which is our money. Because today's our, today's our annual gift day. If you're a visitor, basically, you can go to sleep for the next five minutes because I'm going to talk about money from a biblical perspective of, of what we're supposed to do. And if you're a visitor, sort of like, we don't want your money, we don't need your money. Feel free to listen and you can learn what it means to actually be a generous person, but it's, this bit is not for you. This is if you're a regular member of this church. Let me tell you what it means to give and what it means to give in terms of how it all began. So in the Bible, right the way from the beginning to the end, is this principle of what's called stewardship. In other words, it's this idea that everything is God's and we're just stewards of it. We don't own it. After all, we can't take it with us. It runs absolutely against the culture of our day that lives in an entitlement consumerist. It's mine. I've earned it. In the Bible, it's all God's. And if you know anything about what it means then to give generously, you give in response of knowing that it's all God's. And then, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that when the people of God were rescued from slavery in Egypt and they were given the land, 
They had three festivals every year. They were always harvest festivals. And at those harvest festivals, what they were to do was they were to bring the crops to God as an offering or whatever they could. And they were to bring the first bits and the best bits of the crop. So it was always the first bits and it was always the best bits. And then if you know anything about the Old Testament as well, you'll know that this idea of what we call a tithe came in. That they were to give a certain percentage of their income to God. Now most people think that that was 10%. Actually, if you read the Old Testament, it was actually 23%. Because there were actually three tithes. And any special gifts or free will offerings were on top of that. And so then, of course, people say, oh, well, we live in the New Testament, don't we? We don't have to live by those ideas, do we? And then, of course, in the New Testament, we come across this. Where we give in response of the love that Jesus has given to us by dying for us on the cross. And that what we give... Is a decision of the heart. That is what it means to, to give. So when, when we say it's better to trust in God than to put our trust in ourselves or in man. Where do we fit on the quotient? Where do we fit on the, on the equation? You see, this is, this, is what, this is what I've learned. That God always provides. I still remember my first paycheck when I was 21. And that was it. 10% went. And then I suddenly did the maths. Because sadly now I'm 46. And I suddenly realised that's 25 years of giving more than 10% to God. You know, I don't know what anyone gives. Some vicars think I'm absolutely mad when I tell them that. Because I honestly believe that what people give is you give in response to what God has done for you. And it's from the heart. So I never know. I know what I give. Or I know what we give as a family. And it's somewhere between there and there. And so, will we trust God that he will provide for us? And of course, sometimes we can't do that. Sometimes we need, because the person that we're married to doesn't go to church. And we understand that. And so you then have to have those conversations. But you should have the conversation. And so, this morning as we come to our gift day, there's an opportunity to give in our offertory as we'd normally pass the plate round to give. But maybe what I want each of us to think about is maybe that we should actually, each of us, give by standing order. Because that's the best way to give. So if you give by standing order to this church, I just want to say a really big thank you. Because it's the only way that this church survives. I mean, £5 in the collection plate just doesn't do it. Basically, the only way this church survives is because of the generosity and faithful giving of people in this church who give by standing order. And so I just want to say thank you. And then say, maybe to 
each of us, if we don't give by standing order, maybe to think, well, where could I start from? You know, maybe you think, well, that's just off my equation. So maybe the challenge this morning, if you're a regular member of this church, is to maybe say, I'll give 1%. I'll start with 1% and just, because that's my trust level. And see if God will, will, will provide. And so what I'm going to do is this. You decide completely. You can ask the treasurer, Julie, if I've ever asked if anybody, what anybody gives. Julie, have I ever asked that? She is the only person who knows. So I trust her with my life just as much as, as all you do. And so I'll leave some standing order forms on that table. And maybe you want to think and go away and think about it. It's a decision that you make on your heart based upon what Jesus has done for you. And go from there. And as you know, I'm going to St. George's. So you can just pick them up at any time you want. You don't have to have that conversation with me. But will we trust? Will we trust that God will provide for us, irrespective of our circumstances? Let us pray today. As we move on in prayer, if, if there are a few children who will help me with this prayer exercise, that would be really great. So if a few of you would come out now as we pray together.